Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. Many years ago, in the spring of 1974, I visited the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris. There were not many people around, and it was quiet and still inside. I gazed in silent awe at the great rose window glowing in the morning sun. All at once, the cathedral was filled with a huge volume of sound, an organ playing magnificently for a wedding taking place in a distant corner, Bach's Toccata and Fugue in D minor. I had always loved the opening theme, but in the cathedral, filling the entire vastness, it seemed to enter and possess my whole self. It was as though the music itself was alive. That moment, a suddenly captured moment of eternity, was perhaps the closest I have ever come to experiencing ecstasy, the ecstasy of the mystic. How could I believe it was the chance gyrations of bits of primeval dust that had led up to that moment in time? The cathedral soaring to the sky, the collective inspiration and faith of those who caused it to be built, the advent of Bach himself, the brain, his brain, that translated truth into music, and the mind that could, as mine did then, comprehend the whole inexorable progression of evolution. Since I cannot believe that this was the result of chance, I have to admit, anti-chance. And so I must believe in a guiding power in the universe. In other words, I must believe in God. Dr. Jane Goodall. Hello and welcome to this episode of Born of Wonder, a podcast where we explore everything and anything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. Um, my name is Katie Marquette and uh, I've, sorry, I'm distracted. Uh, I, just a little backstory here is that I'm looking at my baby who is demanding my attention yet again. I've been Hi, honey. Uh, I've been toting this recorder around from room to room all morning, uh, hoping that she's going to give me a few minutes to record. So if the end result podcast sounds a little disjointed, that's why. Um, but I, <laughs> I'm not going to have time to record in a quiet room today. So uh, this is this is the way. Either I, either I'm not going to do a podcast, or this is how it's going to be. So the question today on the podcast is, what is it? to be human? What does it mean to be a human person? And uh, this is a huge question, uh, and there are many ways of answering it. There's the biological way. What is sort of the biological reality of being a human being? How, if if we are different from other animals, uh, how? Um, and then there's the uh, what has been referred to as the heavens down approach, the theological uh, understanding that you can go look at from... Yes, honey. From many different uh, religious traditions, um, man and woman, he created them uh, from dust uh, to be separate and unique and from the rest of creation to have dominion, uh, a complicated word, or uh, or if you want to think of it more as stewardship uh, over the rest of creation. There are many, many ways of looking at this question, and it's a question that we will keep asking probably for 
all uh, all of eternity. Uh, what does it mean to be a human being? And uh, I can't promise you any answers on today's show, but I can promise you more questions and hopefully some thought-provoking ones. So I started today's podcast with a quote from Jane Goodall, who, if you are familiar with her, you know that she is famous for her work with chimpanzees, uh, with wild chimps. And I started reading about her. Um, you know, I sort of knew just what everyone knows about her, the very basics. This this lady really likes chimps and hung out with them. <laughs> um, but she was on an episode of Fresh Air and gave an interview And I was actually surprised at how much she talked about spirituality and sort of a spiritual understanding of uh, of animals and of human beings in our place in the cosmos. So it got me thinking that I would love to learn some more about her. And so I read her book, um, Reason for Hope. I would give it three out of five stars. It's uh, it, it's it's a very interesting read. A little redundant. Um, the writing isn't the best, but it's it's very thought provoking. And that quote is um, from the introduction of that book. Uh, sort of a famous moment in her life that she repeats a lot in interviews about um, this mystical moment in uh, in in the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, looking at the famous rose window and having this mystical experience. And when she had that experience. She had uh, she was sort of re-entering civilization after living in the jungle with the chimpanzees and was finding it uh, a very a very difficult transition actually. So this was sort of an affirming moment to her that human human beings and the the creation that uh, that we had wrought on the earth was not all bad basically. And I know the feeling she's talking about because when I was in Scotland and we were out in the Highlands in the middle of nowhere. For quite a while, you know, you'd see like maybe one other person and you were just consumed in this much slower pace. Um, You you were you were used to sort of the rhythms of nature in a way that probably is much more um, fulfilling to us on a on a deep, deep level. And then you re-enter the world, and it can be very jarring. Uh, we ended up in Glasgow after um, after after being in the Highlands, which is a, f- a far less beautiful city than uh, I think than Edinburgh. And uh, I was so put off by it. I the the rushing cars, the traffic, the bars, just loud people everywhere, trash. I was uh, it, it was a very disconcerting experience. So I imagine that's how Jane felt after months and months and months of being basically alone in the jungle with the chimpanzees. Uh, you know, you, she describes these beautiful moments watching a rainstorm pass over, um, learning so much about these chimps and their and their amazing culture and society. Uh, and and how alike they are to us as human beings. Um, I was especially interested to hear about um, chimpanzee mothers and how they act with their children. Chris was joking with me. I'm always reading these sort of worldly parenting books, you know, the French parenting, the Danish parenting, the Scandinavian parenting. I have some Eskimo parenting book coming on the way. And he's like, well, now you're you're reading about chimp parenting. So I guess I guess I was. So uh, if anyone's curious, chimpanzee mothers are extravagantly affectionate with their children, uh, play with them a lot, rely on siblings a lot for help. They're very understanding when their little chimp children are are trying to mess with them while they're trying to get food for the family or something with them, but they will just sort of gently redirect them, a lot of redirection going on. So that's how chimps parent. You you can take that advice as you will, but, um, you know, Jane Goodall was really 
really interested to see uh, see you know these complex social bonds that chimpanzees had. Um, none of this sounds too extraordinary now when we sort of we understand as a society that animals do have uh, complex social networks. Uh, I think anybody who's spent time with animals knows they have personalities, uh, things like that. But that was actually a rather um, novel idea at the time uh, when she was studying these chimps in the 60s and 70s and when she found out that chimpanzees used tools when she saw them very specifically fishing for termites with a um, with a branch that they had picked and they pulled all the leaves off and they stuck it in the in in the tree and they got the termites out um, people actually accused her of lying they said she made it up she taught the chimp how to do it there was no way this chimp could be using a tool because people were defining humans as tool, tool makers. That was actually how people defined human beings as, as uh, creatures who could use tools. So when Jane Goodall discovered that uh, chimps used, uh, used tools, it was, a, it was a really sort of philosophically challenging moment. And a lot of scientists uh, questioned her, a lot of theologians questioned her. Uh, and um, now we know, of course, that there are many animals that use tools, uh, crows and elephants and ants and um, all kinds of animals. Uh, so so our, our tool use is not distinctive. Uh, it, it, we can't say, well, human beings use tools and that's what makes them unique and special and things like that. That is not what, um, what, what it means to be a human being. Um, it's part of it, but it's not something unique. And really, when we ask the question, what does it mean to be a human being? Really, we're asking um, what what is uh, what is unique about being a human being, and um, it turns out there's a lot less uniqueness than we used to think. Right? We used to think that um, that uh, basically all the cosmos revolved around the Earth, and now we know that the Earth revolves around the Sun, and uh, that we are one of many planets in an infinite. Uh, vastness of space that we can barely comprehend uh so so what what does this mean is this is this demeaning to the hum, human person um d should this make us feel small and insignificant does this uh let us off the hook as far as uh acting differently than other animals uh do we still have to consider morality uh what about this knowledge of good and evil uh is that what is distinctive about the human condition uh endless endless questions here but um I'm going to link this in the show notes. The Smithsonian Institute has, uh, you can sort of submit um, to the response, what does it mean to be a human being? Um, it's the Human Origins Initiative. They say, wants to know what you think what it means to be a human being. And you can uh, submit what you think, a maximum 140 characters. Uh, so if you want to go online and and add your thoughts to the discussion, some some of the, the answers here that they have, um, from just just a sort of random selection here, uh, someone says to create your own world utterly different from anybody else's and yet try to understand theirs. Someone else says frighteningly flexible. I don't know if they mean that mentally or physically, but um, someone else says ability to communicate with others and sympathize. Someone says to be human is to love. To me, being human means you can walk upright, have a large brain and feel emotions. Well, this from a 15-year-old from Boston said that. Uh, someone else said to have an imagination, unlike the Neanderthals, who had no need in the cold climate during the Ice Age. Interesting thought. I bet they did have an imagination, especially in that in that cold Ice Age. And actually, 
uh, it seems that um, chimpanzees have an imagination too. Um, these chimps that know no sign language and can draw and paint and things like that. One one chimp, uh, Jane Goodall says, they drew sort of this motion. Uh, uh, it's sort of lines, I guess, on the paper, and the the interpreter, uh, caretaker person asked in sign language what it was, and they were drawing the bounce of a ball. Not the ball, but the bounce. And I think that's incredibly creative, and it, it requires a a uh, a lot of imagination to imagine motion. So maybe our imagination doesn't make us so unique. Uh, here's another answer on that page, to be created by God in his image. That is the uh, the top-down, heavens-down approach right there. And what does that mean, to be created in the image of God? Uh, that is that is really, if you read Genesis, um, which I reread yesterday while the baby was napping, while I was trapped while she was napping, <laughs> um, I read uh, Genesis. And first of all, the two creation stories, um, the, the, the first that goes the day by day, the seven days, and then the famous story of... Um, Eve being created from Adam's rib. There's sort of two separate narratives in there. But both of them, um, the emphasis is that the human distinction, what is unique about the human person, though they are created from dust and to dust they will return, they are created in the image of God. So that is really what it comes down to theologically uh, speaking what makes the human person unique. Now, that opens up a whole huge question of what that means to be made in the image of God. What does God look like? We have no idea. Um, does this mean that um, God looks like a human being, that he that he is that old man in the sky, uh, that, that we have his features physically? Or does this come down to uh, to something, something, something else, something, something in, in God's attributes, in his ability to create, uh, in his ability to love, in his ability to, um, to have an ethical, uh, just understanding of the universe. Is there a sort of moral compulsion that is unique to human beings? All these are, are questions to consider. Um, Martha Nussbaum, uh, who's a philosopher I actually like quite a bit, uh, usually, she, ha she had an article in the New York Times asking, what does it mean to be human? And she sort of berates human beings this question. She says it's a narcissistic question and that really we aren't that different from other animals and that it's sort of foolish to be sort of obsessing over our uniqueness. I think that's... Uh, I don't agree with her view, um, but I do agree with uh, w with with what she says right here. I'm going to quote um, a bit at length here. She says, "We share a planet with billions of other sentient beings, and they all have their own complex ways of being, whatever they are. All of our fellow animal creatures, as Aristotle observed long ago, try to stay alive and reproduce more of their kind. All of them perceive, all of them desire, and most move from place to place to get what they want and need." Aristotle proposed that we should strive for a common explanation of how animals, including human animals, perceive, desire, and move. We know Aristotle as a philosopher, but he also was a great biologist who studied shellfish and other creatures large and small. He encouraged his students not to turn away from studying animals that don't seem glamorous, since there is something wonderful in all of them, not least the sheer fact that they all strive for continued life. This sense of wonder, which should lead us to a fuller ethical concern, is a deep part of our humanity. But wonder is on the wane, and we humans now so dominate the globe that we rarely feel as if we need to live with other animals on reciprocal terms. 
So uh, no surprise, I certainly agree with her and Aristotle on on this idea that uh, the more we study nature, the more we study other animals and their wonderful uniqueness and the just expansiveness of, of creation, uh, we should be filled with wonder. Uh, this shouldn't be demeaning to to people. Um, the, I think, and I think that Jane Goodall, uh, this was, she, she is sort of a, she's, she's a general theist really is what um, her, her sort of spirituality has led her to, but she really emphasizes that the more we learn about, uh, about the natural world and the incredible, beautiful complexity of nature and animals, uh, the more wonder this should inspire in us. This is not about making human beings less by, by understanding the, uh, the beauty of, of the rest of creation, but maybe even making us more. I always think of that, that poem, uh, Desiderata, where it, sa it says, you know, you have a right to be here. Uh, you, 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 along with all the plants and animals, you have a right to exist. And I think that sometimes as human beings, our sense of exceptionalism sometimes leads us to feeling a bit outside of creation. And uh, the more we study animals and have a greater understanding of their unique experiences, I think the more that we, at least the way I feel, is that I feel uh, a part of something. I feel a part in a natural way uh, with creation, in a beautiful way. Um, and I think that that, uh, that that shared understanding is part of what it means to be a human being. So that's Martha Nussbaum's uh, uh, thoughts there. Um, Vatican II started the entire, um, the ecumenical council uh, started out by saying, a sense of the dignity of the human person has been impressing itself more and more deeply on the consciousness of contemporary man. And the demand is increasingly made that men should act of their own judgment, enjoying and making use of a responsible freedom, not driven by coercion, but motivi motivated by a sense of duty. So this idea of defining what is the human person really uh, comes down to what is the um, what are the the duties and the um, the 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 moral obligations of being a human person? That's really also what we are asking, isn't it? Um, when we when we ask, you know, sort of who are we in the grand scheme of creation? And this sort of relates to Steven Pinker's idea that uh, the better angels of our nature is he, he believes that we're actually getting better uh, despite what you may may hear on the news um, that we are actually that we are actually moving toward a more just more understanding society um, I don't know what I think about that I think that that we we certainly um, if you look look throughout the the scheme of history you know um, we have an understanding now of, of about children and women and uh, other races and and things like that that um, we didn't in the past and we certainly have a perhaps greater understanding of uh, of the human person as worthy of our protection and yet on so many fronts uh, the human person and the and the dignity of life is being attacked over and over again and I think that we live in a, a very contradictory time where on the one hand you will have people crying out about human rights and then there will be um, the same people um, saying that uh, certain people whether uh, because of their their age or or their infirmity or um, simply because we don't want them uh, don't have a right to exist so that this is this is the time we live in where the question of what does it mean to be a human person and what are our obligations to the human person are uh, more important than ever um, and we, we should keep asking this question 
I'm going to quote another um, article here um, from Cardinal Timothy Dolan. Uh, a few years ago, wrote uh, a great a great piece in in the church in Church Life Journal uh, about sort of what religion can do uh, on, a, on a large ethical scale um, for for human rights and and our understanding uh, and protection of the dignity of the human person. He writes, it is so tenderly evident in the law and the prophets, in the teachings of Jesus and St. Paul. It has given rise to Christian morality that startled the brutality of the Roman world with its emphasis on the protection of life, respect for persons, care for the vulnerable, defense of women, babies, children, family, elders, and even slaves. It gave rise to the greatest system of healthcare, education, and charity the world has ever known, giving us a saint like Nicholas as we gather on his feast day. I guess this was celebrate. He was writing this around St. Nicholas's feast day, uh, coming up December sixth. Uh, anyway, whose sol- solicitude for the little ones, the oppressed, and the struggling captures our imagination to this day. It inspired Martin Luther King Jr., Dorothy Day, as they recognized the human person as a reflection of the divine, and led them to the radical claim that even the slave or the Indian has an immortal soul, deserving what Roger Williams called a soul freedom. The individual is a reflection of the divine, that when our Heavenly Father looks upon us, he sees his son and smiles. That every human life beams with the transcendent and hints at the beyond is a faith that affirms everything is decent, noble, and uplifting in the human drama. To put it another way, the Catholic doctrine of the dignity of the human person prompts a thumping yes to whatever affirms the truth, beauty, and goodness inherent in us and in our world. This is the Christian humanism of giants such as Aramaeus and Thomas More, such a brilliant part of luminous Catholic universities. So the history of the church has been one producing the poetry of Dante and the art of Caravaggio, the sculpture of Michelangelo and the music of Mozart and the charm of Francis. The discoveries of Columbus and the charm of Francis. The church is into affirming, not denouncing, raising up, not putting down, encouraging, not condemning. As Bishop Robert Barron claims in his marvelous and exciting Catholicism series, the church is all about a yes to all that is true, beautiful, and good in the human project. The church only says no to something or someone that would negate the truth, the beautiful, that would negate the true, the beautiful, or the good in the human person. And a no to another no results in a yes. Isn't that great? I love that so much. Um, And I always like to come back to this. Uh, Whatever your belief system is, if I think that anyone who, (laughs) hi honey, (laughs) you having fun down there? Anybody who, uh, ha ha. Anybody who listens to this podcast um, believes in truth, goodness, and beauty. And uh, sometimes, especially um, if you're religious, you can feel like you're saying no to a lot of things. You're saying no to all sorts of things that um, the culture might be promoting. And it it can seem um, exclusionary or uh, negative. It's always about no to this, no to that. I can't do that. I can't do this. Um, When really, it should really be all about what are we saying yes to. And um, I want to say yes to all these things that, that inspired Um, inspired the poetry of Dante, the art of Caravaggio, the sculpture of Michelangelo, the music of Mozart. All of this I want to say yes to. And uh, so fiat, you know, just the yes, the resounding yes to 
all that is good, true, and beautiful. And uh, that yes uh, to creation, um, to to wonder and beauty uh, is is really the negation of the no of the fall of saying no to um, to, to God's order, not to touch the tree. Saying no, uh, I'm going to do my own thing. I want to be like God. I want to have the knowledge of good and evil. And even in the the, the beautiful parable of Genesis and the beautiful story of Genesis, we sort of have this uh, distinction hi- hidden in there, don't we? That um, that philosophers of all different um, backgrounds come back to is this moral culpability of the human person, the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, this is a huge part of what it means to be a human being. Um, that that we, we are responsible in a way that the rest of creation is not. Uh, and Jane Goodall herself, when she's asked what makes, uh, what makes the human person distinct, she comes down to language and the fact that we can um, vocalize and communicate about things that are not present. And she says as far as she can tell with chimpanzees, they, can't, um, they don't quite have that abstract thought. Um, and, uh, or if they do, they can't verbalize it, vocalize it to each other. Um, and again, who knows? I mean, there's only so much that we can that we can know by um, by observation, um, but this does seem to be a uniquely human characteristic. Um, but you think about the Tower of Babel, that story is that our language, this gift of language, can easily be used to confuse and um, lead to sort of chaos and destruction uh, as much as it can lead to communication and uh, and and betterment of, uh, of, of the human person. You know, because what, what's interesting though is that um, before the fall, God says, you know, I'm creating the human person in my likeness. I'm creating the human being in the image of God. And then uh, what the serpent says to Eve is that uh, if you eat from this, you will have the knowledge of good and evil. You will be like God. Uh, and she believes this. Um, but but we know uh, that, that basically that this knowledge of good and evil is not what makes us like God. So what is it? What is the pre-fallen man? And what is their distinction? What is it that they are like God? Uh, artists like Tolkien and C.S. Lewis would really focus in on our ability to create art, our ability to be sub-creators, to participate in the drama of, uh, of, of eternity um, by creating um, works of art, creating worlds, creating Middle Earth, creating Narnia, that we, like God, can create in this incredible way, that we can uh, that we do have Michelangelo, that we have these incredible, um, this incredible ability uh, to to create beautiful things, to create unique things. Um, that would be one aspect. But uh, we we know that animals it can create art in a way. Uh, but you know, you see elephants; they make art, and uh, like I talked about, that chimp who drew the bouncing ball. But they really only seem to make that sort of art um, at the compulsion of human beings. Um, they don't seem to do that in their own societies. Again, I don't want to assume too much about about what's going on in chimp society or elephant society. And of course, elephants are well known for the way they grieve, the way they remember. Um, remember elephants who have died passing the bones of elephants uh, who have died back and forth in a sort of um, relic-like way, in a remembrance way at their graveyards. I don't want to assume too much, um, but all I can say is that the experience of being a human being, uh, we've certainly 
made our mark upon the planet and that comes with uh, certain obligations um, again goes back to that term dominion or stewardship that um, we have an obligation to uh, creation to our fellow uh, to our fellow animals as I look down baby almost crawling so close hon uh, <laughs> scooting <laughs> at my feet and um, her favorite friend um, our dog Bruce snoring on my foot um, that you know we brought these animals into our lives we are and there's so much that we share there's so much that we share um, in our ability to to play and to to have affection for one another and uh, all these things that we share that we have an obligation uh, to, to to be responsible to be responsible toward them because we know better and that is uh, what Jane Goodall uh, talks about a lot is this um, this head and heart uh, struggle that the human being has and that you know her emphasis on spirituality she said when she went into the jungle she had no training her only training was as a secretary and as a lover of animals and uh, that's actually why she was able to uh, look at the chimp she named them she she looked at them as as uh, creatures with personalities which was very against the grain um, and very seen as very unprofessional back then but it was this empathetic uh very human engagement uh with with these creatures loving these other animals that allowed her to see the complexity of their society and uh it was actually why she was able to to make the discoveries that she did so um i think that's a great lesson and it's certainly a lesson that um really this podcast is all about uh, again that saint gregory the great croak quote um we make idols of our concepts, but wisdom is born of wonder. All these scientists in their fancy universities that were saying that animals couldn't do this, they couldn't use tools, they didn't have personalities, all these things, I think that they had lost their sense of wonder. And meanwhile, Jane Goodall is in the jungle, um, just experiencing wonder and awe and beauty as she observes these animals in their natural habitat. So. Um, and of course, uh, Jane goes into great detail about the incredible violence that chimpanzees can um, can commit against one another and against human beings. Um, but really, I, w I wish I could say, well, that's not like human beings, uh, but it is. We are an incredibly violent species. Um, but again, uh, maybe the uniqueness here is that is that we know better, that we can do better, um, that there is the dignity of the human person is in our ability to overcome um, our biological uh, need, our biological impulses and instincts uh, to work towards something, something greater that we can that we can self-sacrifice, uh, that we can engage in true altruism and compassion. Uh, that these these things that really don't make sense on a biological level, um, although there are scientists that will say that there's no no such thing as a real good deed uh, uh, because it's always somewhat selfish. I don't buy that one bit. Um, but I think that uh, the, the the altruistic actions of human beings, our ability to uh, say no to our biological instincts, especially our violent ones, um, is it is an incredible thing um, and maybe a chimpanzee can't say no um, doesn't know they should say no doesn't want to say no because uh, they have no knowledge of good and evil um, catechism of the catholic church church teaches man alone is called to share by knowledge and love in god's own life this is the fundamental reason for his dignity being in the image of god the the human individual possesses the dignity of a person who is not just something but someone uh, the uniqueness of the human person not just something but someone 
I'll end uh, just with one more quote here from the great St. John Paul II, um, who, of course, saw, uh, saw the degradation of the human being with, with so many um, fascist governments, uh, with, uh, with the Holocaust, uh, which, with the horrors, of basically, of the 20th century. And he said, I devote my very rare free moments to a work that is close to my heart and devoted to the metaphysical significance and the mystery of the person. It seems to me that the debate today is being played on that level. The evil of our times consists in the first place in a kind of degradation, indeed in a pulverization of the fundamental uniqueness of each human person. This evil is even much more of the metaphysical than of the moral order. To this disintegration, planned at times by atheistic ideologies, we must oppose, rather than sterile polemics, a kind of recapitulation of the mystery of the human person. Again, mystery, uh, wonder, awe, staying. Uh, I, I think that maybe our obsession with defining the human person isn't the way to go, that we should look at the human person as a complete mystery, that uh, it, human beings are amazing, creation is amazing, animals are amazing, and it's always in this state of awe um, that we that we act as our best selves because when we remain uh, in wonder at the uniqueness of each individual person, um, we we couldn't commit the acts uh, that that dominated the 20th century. We would, can't commit genocide when you understand each human being, regardless of nationality, sexuality, race, anything, um, is a unique, uh, irrepeatable. Uh, person, um, a, a unique human soul that uh, deserves protection, understanding, compassion, and love. So a lot to think about. Uh, there's actually a, a podcast called Language of God, um, which was uh, created by the, by the uh, former director of, of the National Institute of Health, uh, Francis Collins. You may have heard of him because he, he is a religious man and uh, has been outspoken about that. Um, but uh, he he uh, founded this podcast. He sometimes is on it, and he apparently is um, friends with Jane Goodall. And there's a really interesting conversation between Francis Collins and Jane Goodall, and it's actually right before this mini series they do called "What Is It to Be a Human Being?" And they go through sort of biology. Um, they go through theology. They go through sort of all these aspects of the human person, and uh, to see what is, if anything, unique about um, being a, being a human being. So that could be if you're still interested in this discussion. Um, there's plenty more to listen to. Uh, I will I will link that series in the show notes. Um, I hope this has been has been fun and uh, engaging and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, hopefully not too distracting um, with the little one. Um, oh, she's discovered my headphones, so that's that's keeping her entertained for the moment. I feel like I didn't use my time very well. Uh, you know, I, I I think a while ago I was like talking about the, how I make a nice to do list at the beginning of the day. I'll just tell you that on my to do list now is things like shower. So <laughs> it's it's really it's a really bare bones to do list. So I'm really glad to get this out before the Thanksgiving holiday um, and. Uh, I just, uh, I'm very grateful to be doing this podcast. Um, it's a cliche, but I'm, I, I love Thanksgiving. I think it's a great, I, I love all Thanksgiving food. <laughs> um, but it's, it's actually, I mean, what a, what a great, great idea that we actually have a day each year that we just are, um, spending with family and, and, and feeling grateful. I know the holidays can also be complicated, uh, and bring up complicated emotions. So, um, I hope that you can hold space for that as well while also feeling, um, you know, feeling that wonder and awe that we're talking about. 
Um, I'm going to end with with some amazing Irish fiddle music just for no other reason uh, than because it makes me incredibly joyful and happy. And I think that, <laughs> can you hear Bruce snoring? Um, that the human uh, capacity for joy is is something that we should cherish. And uh, and I, I just want, I want to leave you all feeling joyful and happy. Um, think about also in Les Mis, to love another person is to see the face of God. So I think there's something in there about um, human capacity for love, uh, our, our amazing ability to lay down our lives for one another, to experience true joy, uh, that there is something, there's something unique here. And even if it's not unique, if someday we find out that all animals in all of creation are also experiencing these emotions, I think that would just add to my wonder and awe at the incredible immensity uh, of, uh, of creation, that this is just a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing we get to experience in this world. So you can tell it's cold weather today because I'm in a good mood. So go enjoy uh, that cold, fresh air. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, and thank you so much for recent reviews. If you have some time, I so, so appreciate it. Uh, means a lot to me, means a lot to uh, to the podcast as I continue to grow it. So thank you so much for listening. I'm Katie Marquette, and this is Born of Wonder. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. 